Hello, all. Welcome to Chicago Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about what we do at chicagojustice.org and get involved at cjpnation.org. Okay, I got a show for you today, a little different than usual. I'm going to be complimenting coverage of crime and violence in Chicago and the suburbs there. I know it's hard to believe, but it does happen on occasion, and we're going to feature two really great stories, actually. One from BEZ about the Waukegan cops extracting a confession from a juvenile, totally against the law, and because of our useless legislature, totally nothing you can do to the cops for doing it. They knowingly broke the law. Then we go to a Great Tribune article on children committing crime in Chicago, and then we go, um, we finish up with a bogus letter from 12 aldermen uh, about the mayor and ending the uh, COVID mandate for city employees and how 2,000 officers are going to resign. Yeah, if ever, that ain't happening. It's a total lie. But, okay. So let's get on to segment one today. The article is titled, A a Top Suburban Prosecutor Blames Waukegan Police for a Boy's False Confession. It is from WBEZ's Chip Mitchell. And it's a really, really good story. So it boils down to there's a shooting of a clerk at a dollar store. The police in 2021 take a suspect into custody. Martel Williams, he's 15. They take him in for questioning. Now, here's the key to this story here. And remember, CJP has long been a fan of public policy, public you know, legislation to rein in police behavior. Because I don't think police policy does it. I don't think they're worried enough about losing their jobs. They need to be worried about losing their freedom. That said... When you write legislation that outlaws something, but there is no penalty for breaking that law, then you're not really doing much. In this case, specifically, it's against the law now for the police or prosecutors to lie to juvenile suspects. And the, the penalty they, the, the legislature's putting on here is, well, if you gain a confession or anything, like fruit of the poisonous tree, if you gain anything from telling them that lie, it's not admissible in court. Okay? Well, one, you'd have to prove, like they got the confession, especially if they can confession on videotape, the confession on uh, videotape, you're going to have to prove that they lied to you. So that's one problem. Second problem is there's no discipline for the cops. You're not holding the cops to discipline. You're not holding the cops responsible. They just lose the case. Big deal, right? So that's what leads up to this part where Martel Williams, just a few months into 2022, so I think this passed actually uh, started this year at the beginning of 2022. And it happened in 2022. Now the legislation is active where you can't lie to these uh, juveniles. This whole scenario happens in 2022. So let's get to the article. Waukegan police did not wait for Martel to reach his mother or find an attorney and provided him only a police-assigned advocate that ill-served the boy. There you go. Starting right at the beginning. One of the concerns that we have after watching the interrogation video, this is coming from the Lake County State's attorney now, video is that is that there is an attempt to reduce the consequences for Martel 
and make him feel like everything is going to be okay if he simply accepts the wrong information that the detective is giving him. The county state's attorney, Eric Reinhardt, said of the Waukegan cops who questioned the boy, it was like we're driven kids, we've, we've driven kids home before who have been accused of shooting if they just tell us the truth. <laughs> and of course, you're a 15-year-old kid, you're scared, you believe them, there goes your false confession. So prior to 2022, this would all have been totally kosher. In 2022, it's not necessarily kosher. You can't use it in court, but nothing happens to the cops. Back to the article. Reinhardt said he will ask Waukegan Interim Police Chief Keith Zupek to put the city office, city's officers through training by state's attorney's office about complying with the new ban on lying to children under interrogation. The state's attorney said his office has already led training sessions on the law for the Cook County Major Crimes Task Force and the Lake County Juvenile Association Officers Association. One last part, Reinhardt said that his office will also help write state legislature banning police personnel from serving as advocates for children under interrogation by the same department. Wow, who thought that was a good idea? How corrupt was this? They don't allow him to call his mom. They don't allow him to call a lawyer. They assign him a advocate, quote unquote advocate, from the department, and then they interrogate him and get him in a false confession. Now, here's the first rule of interrogation, and they're basically using, and I forgot the last part of the name, but it's the read interrogation method invented in, of all places, the city of Chicago. The key to this the tactics used in interrogation is that you do not put someone into interrogation until you have significant overwhelming evidence that they did the crime because of how coercive the situation itself being in that short room being accused of it um, and not being able to leave all of that is the designers of the technique this read technique know that that's why one of the first caveats of using this stuff is don't put someone in the room until you know they did it. Because then you get these false confessions. Now, this state legislation's pretty useless. Not entirely useless, but pretty useless. It needs to have a stick. It needs to have something. So when the cops do this, they get fired. Why, you ask? Well, because not every defendant is going to be able to prove themselves innocent of the crime they have falsely confessed to. I have met many a people off of Illinois' death row. One, I think, was in Lake County. Um, they talk about, and these are grown men, how incredibly coercive and intimidating and scary being led into that interrogation room is. Cops will continue breaking this rule, knowing that the only thing that can happen is the case gets tossed. Nothing can happen to them. So they can reap all the benefit for getting, for getting it, and they reap none of the, the downfall for not, for it, the case getting tossed. So extra important in Illinois, for all of you who haven't read it, go back and read the Illinois Torture. No. George Ryan's Commission on the Death Penalty, around 2000. One of the participants in that commission was Lake County State's Attorney at that time, Mike Waller. 
years and years ago. He was on a radio show I did for Loyola University Chicago's radio station, WLUW. And at that point, this is before the two cases I'm going to tell you about. He said, oh, no, you know, we don't have to worry about false confessions in Lake County because our, our officers are so well-trained and our prosecutors are so well-trained, so there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> really? Okay. Here's two cases pointed out in the article. Jerry Hobbs, who confessed to stabbing his young daughter and her friend to death in 2005, Hobbs recanted, but the confession sent him to jail for five years before DNA evidence linked the crime to another man and the charges were dropped. Uh-oh, Mike, seems to be a problem with your stellar Lake County criminal justice system. Ooh, but there's another one. Juan Rivera Jr. His false confession led to his conviction in 1992 for rape and murder of an 11-year-old in Waukegan. He spent 20 years in prison before being cleared by DNA evidence. In this case, the... What's the phrase? Incredibly disgusting, horrific, immoral. Lake County State's Attorney's Office found semen on this 11-year-old girl who was raped and murdered. She was in the woods. Her body was found in the woods, dressed. They eventually have to test it because Juan Rivera wins the testing after he's convicted and in jail for a long time. They test it. And it doesn't match Juan Rivera. Juan Rivera Jr. So what does the immoral Lake County State's Attorney say in court and publicly? Well, the 11-year-old girl was either obviously either sexually active or she must have stripped down, went in the woods, and rolled around in the leaves where there was semen in such a state they could get on her, on her genitals, by the way, and then put her clothes back on. And that's how we got evidence of someone other than Juan Rivera Jr. It's unbelievable. This is just a continuation of the problems going on both in Waukegan and Lake County. You have to write in consequences for the officers into this legislation. Otherwise, you are not disincentivizing this behavior. You think you are by having the material tossed. That does not affect the officers. If anything, it affects the prosecutors, but it does not affect the officers. We have to get consequences for the officers. It is shown those cops were not worried at all about getting that confession tossed. We need consequences for the officers. Regardless, great story by Chip Mitchell. I think everyone should go read it. The link will be up on the site when the pod gets posted. Another great story, this time from Annie Sweeney and Stephanie Casanova at the Chicago Tribune, titled, Surge in, Chicago Surge in Chicago's violence highlights teens in troubles and efforts to save them. The stakes feel higher. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, they are not higher. They are not higher. 
every every time we have a crime increase in Chicago, reporters, politicians, everyone wants to say this is the worst it's ever been. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's the worst it's ever been, obviously. Blah, 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 blah. It's not. We've had children shooting children. We've had children raping children forever in Chicago. It is the way it goes. And any representation that this is somehow completely different than our history is really just wrong. It's just wrong. So let's just, let's start there. The good part about this story is Annie Sweeney and Stephanie Casanova bring in science, something rarely seen on these types of stories. And one other thing before we get into the meat of this, and I've taught this to my classes at UIC when I used to teach race, class, and gender, race, class, gender, and the law. For there to be a choice, when they say, oh, the, you know, when you're talking especially about people in the most underserved communities, back-breaking, crippling, intergenerational transmission of poverty, you, there is this belief by white, middle-class, and upper-class America that the reason people from those communities where they have back-breaking, unbelievable intergenerational transmission of poverty are in poverty is because they're just simply making the wrong choices. The reality is you got to have a choice to make a choice. And if there's no way, if there's two options and there's no way anyone in the world's going to make option A and there's only option B, then is there really a choice? If you're white and you're looking at people, black and brown committing crime, you think there obviously isn't a choice. And that would be untrue. Let's get to the article. The high stakes intersection of Chicago's youth find themselves in what has been brought into sharp relief. I'll tell you why that's full of shit. And recent months in a series of troubling crimes, six year old already serving a probation sentence for three carjackings accused of fatally shooting eight-year-old Melissa Ortega, another 16-year-old on electric monitoring for two gun cases charged with killing a 15-year-old shooting him, him first in the head, then nine times he lay on the sidewalk, and then 11-year-old cited in six different carjacking incidents, including some involved, involved armed robbery. For the, for the authors, and this is where I disagree with them a little bit, puts it into sharp relief. We're really being able to tell now that we have an issue with minors and, and teenagers committing crime. When have we not had one? If it's sharp relief for you, that's a problem. That's because you haven't been looking. That's the bottom line. I mean, I remember years and years ago, and I don't remember the, the either the offender or the victim's name. We had a kid, I think, on gangland orders early teenager, maybe 13, that dropped an 11-year-old or an 11-year-old that dropped a 7-year-old out of a window at the Chicago Housing uh, Authority, one of the Chicago Housing Authority buildings, I think. Um, I don't remember exactly which of the housing developments it was, whether it was Cabrini Green or not. I think it was Cabrini Green. So why wasn't that the time that it was going to get in sharp focus? Let's get back to the article. Children have been spared in recent surge, spared, no, children have not been spared in the recent surge in gun violence with an increase in shootings, both fatal and non-fatal for youth 17 and younger over the past two years. 
Still, the number of young people being monitored by the probation office has been declining in recent years, along with arrests in the city of Chicago. Now, one real quick thing, ladies and gentlemen. The vast majority of shootings forever in Chicago are not clear. They have no idea who did it. So if you're looking like, oh my God, 17-year-olds and 16-year-olds or younger are being arrested more, my phrase would be, well, they arrested more, or are we just figuring out, I should say arrested more, committed more. Well, are they really committing more? We just find we just happen to clear more of the cases involving them, and they're they're involved in the same number. We're just clearing them now. Or were there cases where, you know, they talk about these three cases? They were horrible. But what happens if the person missed, right? And the victim took off, which happens quite a bit, right? So for a couple of those cases, at least, if the person shooter misses. Those are non-stories, but one was it seems really close, so the person couldn't really miss there. Um, when you get into this and you're trying to compare, and this is the worst ever, it's really complicated. Um, not too, not complicated when you're the media, it's really easy, but um, so take it all with a grain of salt about whether it's more now than it used to be and it's worse now than it used to be. Grain of salt. Back to the article. But those working the system strongly caution that juveniles need to remain a special consideration in the criminal justice system, stressing that the brain research does not support a return to punitive responses, which were deployed years ago to address violence. They also point to challenges young offenders face, saying before they were a shooter or a carjacker, they were likely some combination of hungry and poor and traumatized by the violence happening on the blocks where they were supposed to thrive. And a little more. And this was before the pandemic produced more challenges, including limiting in-person schooling and more chances for social interaction and guidance. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, hooray, science is being applied. Secondly, the pandemic served as a multiplier to, to the impact on all the inter intersecting disparities. All those problems were just made much, much, much worse by the pandemic. Back to the article. When young people are severely penalized for committing a crime, they're more likely to recidivate, meaning harsher penalties apparently do not reduce juvenile crime. Explains Stephanie Tabashnik, 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 sorry. Senior fellow in law and applied neuroscience at the Center for Law, Brain and Behavior at the Petrie Flom Center at Harvard University. That's right. Harsh penalty in many cases with juveniles just makes things worse. Listen, all of this is about ideology, right? It's about the conservatives wanting to punish, 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 knowing it's right and not looking at the science. Back to the article. Developments in neuroscience and behavior research have really been groundbreaking in terms of how much we understand youth criminal behavior. Tabashnik said, we know that Children are teachable, their brains are wired for learning, and they have a tremendous capacity for change. People don't care. They want change now, they want safety now, they don't care about the future consequences. That same type of thinking is what is set to circumstances for the situation we find ourselves in now. 
the actions of the criminal justice system and society five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years, 20 years ago, is what set the environment for the what we're experiencing now in Chicago. A key thing, which is not always on, pro, on probation side, is time. Because every young person requires some time to receive the message, the support, and then for them to have the moment when it will all make sense, he said. And of course, when we're all talking about public safety, communities want their communities to be safe now. And of course, residents of our communities don't care about the process. They want to see the outcome. That's exactly 100% right. Blame the media, not this article itself, but blame the media for that because they play right into it. It's the same issue with bail reform. People are, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Well, you know, when I had Alderman Raymond Lopez in the 15th Ward on the show not too long ago, he was talking about that too. And I brought up, well, so how many, you know, the alt-right was able to track 69 cases in which people out on bail reform reoffended with a gun, uh, gun violent, uh, violent gun offense. And I said, okay, well, how many were you expecting to happen? If you take thousands and thousands and thousands of people, put them on bail. He had no idea. And I also said, well, that's great. You, you got 69. Let's move that up to 200. There are something like 3,500 shootings in Chicago, 3,550, we'll say. So what are you going to do to tackle the other 3,350 when we cancel bail reform and get rid of it? No answer. They don't know what they're talking about. It is all ideology. It's all ideology. Back to the article. Majority of adolescents who commit crimes, including serious crimes like assault and homicides, do not go, go on to commit future crimes as adults. They desist from criminal behavior. Oh, my God. The reality is locking them up probably increases their chances of being criminal justice system involved for the rest of their lives. Kabashnik says peer pressure is a contributing factor. Back to the last part of the article. That peer presence effect goes away in a person's early to mid-20s as shifts happen in the brain, Kabashnik said. So peer presence is, is really key, she said. I mean, in my work, it is, it is very rare that I've seen crime involved in minor that did not involve peers. So these crimes tend to happen in groups, and that's because peer pressure increased risk-taking behavior impulse, and impulsivity. That's right. You know, and it reminds me years and years ago. I'm not going to say who it was, but I, I remember talking to a, a little village, uh, a community organizer, community person in Little Village. And this person said to me that their main worry at that point, what was what called disconnected youth. And I think it was him who said it disconnected youth and like disconnected he's like yeah 16 to like 25 not employed and not in school totally disconnected also not counted as unemployed totally out there and i think if it was him his concerns are real that's what we're talking about here we are such in a system now in our society that we need action and results now that by trying to achieve those immediate gains, goals, I don't know if they're even called gains, but changes, we actually increase the chances of the likelihood of getting or having more violence into the future. It's, it's just sad. There's no doubt about it. 
Okay, our last segment. I call it delusional alderman. I saw the letter on the Fraternal Order of Police's Facebook page. And it's a letter from 12 aldermen. We'll get into the aldermen in their background a little bit. It's going to be a quick segment. And um, calling for a special city council hearing and the end of the mayor's vaccine mandate because like 2,000 some officers haven't reported their vaccine status. And by the 13th, and if you're listening to this tomorrow when it gets released, it'll be the 16th. They're all going to resign because at some point, mayor backed off a little bit. At some point, they're going to start losing pay. And if you listen to the article, I mean, if you read the letter, this vaccine mandate represents a clear and present danger to the safety, security, and services of our city. So what you're saying, Alderman, and I'll list Alderman in a second, is being a first responder, fireman, paramedic, police officer, but especially police officer, you don't represent a clear and present danger to the community, to your fellow workers, to yourself, to your families, by not getting a vaccine that has been distributed and administered to billions, probably billion or two people across the world now, these vaccines, with almost no consequences. That is not a clear and present danger to any, like the communities or the families or anything. What is the clear and present danger is making them get the vaccine to keep their job. Do they ever take responsibility for anything? When I'm saying they, I mean the police. The answer is no. Next, let me just say this very quickly. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been through these vaccine mandates all over the country. Remember, United was going to lose all their employees. Then they lost like five out of 60,000, they lost 500. And then many, they were put on no pay service in that status. And then many of them got the vaccine and came back to work. New York Police Department, hundreds of thousands of officers are going to leave. And then it's literally a, a handful of officers left that department. We know that the BS these aldermen are pushing is total bullshit. This is an ideological war being fought by um, first responders who don't want to get a, a shot, don't want to get the vaccine. Amazing because political purposes. Listen, this the Fraternal Order of Police, specifically the Chicago Police, just like the LA Police and the New York Police and Dallas and Houston, um, San Diego, all over the country. The police departments are filled to a certain extent. They have a certain percentage of just alt writers with them, among with them among them, no doubt about it. So this is um, this is a demonstration. And honestly, this is Lightfoot said something really smart. I think Mayor Lightfoot. She thinks many of the people who refuse to report their status um, are actually vaccinated. And I bet you that's true. Now, these people just don't believe in the free market, right? It's been pretty much proven back and forth and over and over. And the Supreme Court has dropped a lot of those cases, will not take them. Employers can mandate you get the shot. You don't like it, start your own business. It's private business, right? So... Let's get off of that. I've kind of ignored this whole fight because I think it's just kind of ridiculous. Let's see what aldermen are involved. You're going to be shocked. Alderman Raymond, let me back up before I do this. Before I give it, first one is Raymond Lopez in 15th Ward. Before I give this, remember, ladies and gentlemen, no one hates politicians more than the FOP. No one loves showing they got political support for their positions more than the Fraternal Order of Police. Okay. 
Because a couple of these names, you're going to be like, wait a minute, I think those people are criminals for political corruption that supposedly the FOP hates. Okay. So let's go over this. Low, uh, Raymond Lopez, 15th Ward. I think it's Jim Gardner, 45th Ward. Matt O'Shea, 19th Ward. Derek Curtis, 18th Ward. I think Derek Curtis might be an ex-cop. Silvana Tabaras, 23rd Ward. He previously made our show for incredibly dumb um, positions. Fivix Cardona, 31. Ed Burke, 14th Ward. We'll come back to him. Samantha Nugent, 39. Alderman Anthony Napolitano, 41st Ward. Nicholas Spasato, 38th Ward. Marty Quinn, 13th Ward. And Anthony the Useless Beal, 9th Ward. So once again, the FOP hates political corruption, but lay, lay down with any scumbag, corrupt, utterly disgusting politician if it serves their purposes. What am I talking about? Well, let's get out right off the bat. Ed Burke, he's about to go to federal prison. He's been indicted for political corruption, the stuff the FOP hates. But damn, do they like it when he signs a letter supporting them. And then we got Jim Gardner in 45. He's being investigated by the FBI for at least one, if two, if not multiple things. But the of political corruption in his ward and retaliation, and it's unbelievable. And then we go on to Napolitano and Spazzato. You'll remember those guys. Yeah, they're not racist. Their response to the murder of Laquan McDonald, remember that on videotape where Jason Van Dyke shot him 16 times for no reason. Their response was to author the Blue Lives Matter ordinance in the city of Chicago. Back to Blue Beacon. They were getting trashed because one of their white officers murdered a black kid for no reason. Also, Alderman Nicholas Spazzato has been, um, has said some amazing things in public uh, the, that are completely, utterly, unbelievably racist. Uh, the latest one being um, blacks need to learn to talk their way out of tickets by being respectful to the cops like white people do. Yep, he said it. Not racist at all. Next, Beal, Alderman Anthony Beal, Ninth Ward. If you go back and look at our report on the public safety committee we published last summer, you will see that he was chairman like 12, 14 months, something like that. What did he do on police accountability? Zero. Zero. So they're saying, I guess, that there's 2,800 officers are going to leave the force. All the evidence throughout all the country about all the mandates by all the employers said there's no way in hell that number will happen. And it won't. These people need their jobs. Where are they going to get jobs paying $90,000, $100,000 a year? Most of these cops who are pension eligible. They're not leaving. Like I said before, I think something like United 500 out of 60,000 originally went on no pay status, and then, oopsie, they went and got the shot, and most of them got their jobs back. This is a total bluff and BS by politicians who should know better or, well, by position know better intelligence, maybe, maybe not. COVID is not going away, ladies and gentlemen. It isn't. It isn't going away. They're going to have to get the basic general vaccines, then the booster, and then another booster's coming down the line. There's another variant in China right now starting to spread, or I guess it's the, it's the um, stealth Omicron is what they're calling it. So it's a version of Omicron. That's spreading and having and starting to cause problems in China. A new variant's coming. These people being unvaxxed is a huge problem for the public in Chicago. Do we really want the first responders 
unvaccinated? Do you want to have to worry about calling 911 and another variant comes out and wondering whether or not the cop who shows up to your scene is going to give you or a loved one, your child, your, your elderly parent or grandparent, your immunocompromised partner or yourself a life-threatening disease? Because they, were, they cared so much about their community and so much taking so much pride in being a first responder. They didn't get an incredibly safe vaccine. Is that what we want in Chicago? That's what these 12 aldermen are arguing for. Wow, if they only put their efforts into actually helping these communities as they put into helping a police force, many of who just do not care about the residents of Chicago. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we leave, I just want to um, let you all know you can go to the post on our Facebook page. You look it up in the notes on YouTube because uh, this video is going to get posted to YouTube. Now we're starting that again. In the notes, we just published an uh, op-ed in Cranes Chicago business um, dealing with the shenanigans around police staffing. You can look that up on Crane's website. Um, yeah, and then this will be posted tomorrow, Wednesday, March 16th, and then I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. I really appreciate it. We'll be back with you next week.